on today's episode, Training for Ultra with Rob Steger. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. room <laughs> there are still tons of moving boxes empty moving boxes right behind me um but fortunately i interviewed rob um i think last week and so i was in um my old house where it wasn't echoey which was quite nice um there's not much on this end like development wise compared to last episode with the leg length discrepancies i did order a power rack and some gym rubber gym flooring to go into the rumpus room to convert into my clinic into my little uh gym studio that i'm gonna have when this whole physio Um, clinic gets created, which I'm super excited about. So I'm starting to order a whole bunch of things. Kettlebells are on their way. Dumbbells are on their way. Uh, What else? Business signs. Like I'm getting this really nice glass um, business signs. I'm also changing the name of my clinic as well. So instead of what was the breakthrough running clinic is now the Run Smarter Physiotherapy Clinic and keeping the name very consistent. I think it's a a great idea. Just going to have the one website and so going to have this really nice uh, run smarter physiotherapy clinic, like glass panels to go into the gym and go into my treatment room uh, slash podcast studio. <laughs> now, if you think here is very echoey, wait till I start recording downstairs. If if I ever start recording downstairs, once I get a Wi-Fi signal, um, if I don't have anything in there because the floor is tiled and all the walls are completely blank. So the, the echo's going to be, yeah, a lot. But constantly, well, yesterday just working on a few um, things to help with the echo. I'm going to buy a rug, start putting stuff up on the walls and getting furniture, those sort of things. So work in progress. Um, my chat with Rob last week, we actually did a, a podcast um, swap. So like I appeared on his podcast chatted for about, I don't know, maybe an hour and 20 on his podcast. And we actually did it back to back. So it was about two and a half hours of just chatting, which was really fun. I really enjoyed it. And Rob was really great. He is like this ultra runner who's also an author, who's also a filmmaker. He's also a podcast host. He's done around about 30 ultras and just completed uh, the Triple Crown, which he'll explain um, throughout the interview. But we delve into your questions. We delve into Patreon questions around training for an ultra marathon, um, which these lessons do apply if you're not 
even a marathon runner. It's just super insightful. We, we delve into, uh, first of all, his career and how he got involved into ultras, but then we talk about things like um, increasing your, your mileage safely, um, talking about the mental side of things, like any seeds of doubt of giving up and like it's a real mental resiliency type of episode as well. And we delve into like, say, um, misconceptions or common mistakes that people think that might happen if you start training for ultras or for those who do train for ultras. And he's a great guy, wealth of knowledge, absolute love chatting to him. And so let's dive in. Rob, welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, honored to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think the feeling is very mutual on um, on both sides. I, um, For those who aren't familiar with you and the, the Run Ultra side of things, can you maybe talk to us about how this Training for Ultra book got started, how the podcast got started? You did some films as well. How did that all generate? Oh, man. I mean, it's... So I, I'm like a creative spirit, I guess, uh, just fundamentally, but I reached a point in my life where I couldn't run one mile and I had read ultra marathon man by Dean Carnassus, like millions of us. And I just had it in my head that I wanted to run an ultra marathon at some point in my life. I just, I got so into that book i just saw that as something that not only like i aspired to do i just for some weird reason in my head thought like that's that's something i can do that's something i will do eventually so like a lot of us i i mean i bought a pair of shoes went out had extreme shin splints <laughs> couldn't run one mile and i i threw those shoes back in the box threw them in the closet and a few a few years later my health was getting horrible i weighed 200 pounds my doctors were all concerned about me and i was like yeah i hear you but i'm not really taking you serious and my dad had a big health scare he had um like a 99 percent blockage in his heart uh it, it was called a widow maker so like if he had had a heart attack um you can't be resuscitated from that situation and so that was a real big eye-opener and that was the catalyst for me to start eating healthier and I lost 50 pounds and all of the sudden I looked you know basically looked in the closet saw that box with the Asics uh, in it the Nimbus like probably probably a, an addition from way long ago but uh, I looked at them and I tried it and I got through a mile. I ran four miles after doing this green juice kind of extreme diet. And uh, from there, I just kept pushing my limits with distance. And it's been pretty, pretty amazing. I, I would never have thought that uh, losing 50 pounds and starting running would have taken me to uh, where I've been. So how long ago was that when you very first got into the ultras and started trying, I guess, running beyond a mile? How long ago was that? So for perspective and the book goes over this, I ran my first run after losing weight for four miles. And then, and this was treadmill miles. I was just like, uh, I, you know, so excited to have passed one mile second run 
probably the next day, I, I tried to run eight miles. And so it was just like, from there, it was, I truly, I truly believe I was an ultra runner long before having the physical capabilities. Mentally, I became an ultra runner probably right along when I read Dean Carnassus's book. And then physically, it took me a while to catch up. But this was all like five years ago. So, yeah, and the book takes you over, I think, my first three, three or four years of, of running. Like from from those basement runs, yeah. And for those who aren't familiar, can you maybe just describe in a bit more detail what the book consists of and uh, what sort of lessons are in there. Yeah, it's it's very um, it, it's it's more of a narrative, and it's just telling my story. You know, it's just it's telling just real, honest, regular guy trying to get after it in my my spare time, like. You know, stress, the stress of working was killing me. I was trying to do this extremely hard exam and I was sitting, studying nonstop. And then, you know, running put my life in balance. And a lot of the book just goes over those first few years, like the races I did, the the anxiety of driving to my first 50 miler and like, sweat the sweat basically dripping down my arms holding the steering wheel driving to that first 50 mile race and just thinking like i don't know what i'm doing like at all um and i just <laughs> i'm i'm not embarrassed to share like all those details and it ends so it gets to the point where i end up having some good races and i, I keep testing my limits and uh, I get to Moab 240 in Utah, and so I go over. There's a lot of chapters at the end of the book where I'm running and trying to finish what I saw as, like, the longest, you know, actual race in probably the world, in the U.S. at least. And it was it was a heck of an experience. You know, I learned so much about myself, and I just wanted to make it relatable I wanted to make it inspirational most most importantly and the goal in writing the book was to fundamentally change 40 people's lives for the better and i think i've pretty much hit that goal at this point i think i've sold <laughs> over seven thousand copies so and i've received so many messages and it's yeah i'm i'm incredibly thankful for each message but um that's that's the summary of it. Hopefully, hopefully I didn't skip over 25 chapters. I tried to make it 31 chapters because I wanted it to be like a 50K, but I, I can't remember how many exactly it turned out to be. I think a lot of people can like be drawn to or resonate to the raw like authenticity of someone's story coming back from just like fumbling their way through their, the start of their running journey and then having no idea what they're doing, but then learning as they fumble along the way. I think that whole story, <clears throat> the way you position yourself, isn't like this, I'm the guru. This is the lessons and principles you need to follow that sort of kind of that positioning. It's just, this is my raw story. This is all the lessons I've learned. These are all the mistakes that I've made. And, uh, it's, it makes you like just one of the other runners out there. It just doesn't, you know, people can relate to it. People can say, Hey, if, 
if Rob can do it, like maybe I can do it as well. And so I guess that's where the success has come with so many copies. And when did the, the podcast itself, when did the, um, the training for ultra podcast start to emerge and why the idea to start that? Well, I mean, and I, the one aspect of the book that I will share really quick was Instagram. So I started trail running and I think one of my very first Instagram photos was uh, me hitting the muddy trails and I'm wearing like road shoes and they're just covered in mud, like a complete train wreck of an outing. But I loved every second of it. And Instagram started getting me out on the trails. And I was, I, I'm like kind of an artistic minded, like a visual thinker. And so I was finding it super inspiring to get out on these beautiful trails and get out. And a lot of times the motivation for me to go run was let's just get out, see what we see. Let's take one photo and then we'll hit, you know, we'll head back. Uh, that the sharing those photos eventually, uh, picked up. And a lot of people started enjoying the photos and finding those inspiring, which I was like, well, I'm doing this selfishly to get myself out the door. Um, like I wasn't intending to try to inspire people. I'm just sharing. This is what I see out on the trail. I'm enjoying it. So that kind of led to, oh, wow, this is starting to pick up. Like once the Instagram account probably hit 10,000 people, I was like, uh, like, okay, I wasn't anticipating this, but this is nice. Like I, I'm happy to share what, what I'm doing and whatnot. And so I think that same thought process transpired in everything I've done in writing the book, starting the podcast, uh, doing movies, doing TV shows and everything else. It's, this was unanticipated, but let's explore this Avenue. And so the podcast was, you know, I, I felt like I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I was asking a lot of very similar questions. When I was listening along, I'd ask almost the same question in my head and then like they keep going and then they veer on one path and I wanted to take it a different way. And I, I also wanted to focus on inspirational content. So I didn't want to chase down. I, I feel like a lot of podcasts chase down the race winners of like the big events and i feel like it's almost like ambulance chasers like uh it's like the the legal guys the the lawyers chasing down the accidents like eh, like yeah you, you you might get a lot of listens but i'm all about finding just great inspiring stories regardless if that person has i've had people on that have had uh, probably 10, like 10 million followers on social media. I've had people on with 200 and you know what? I ask them the same questions and I find that I find them equally as inspiring. And I, I always go for back at the pack, middle of the pack, front of the pack, not even in a pack. <laughs> like <laughs> I just, I, I just go for inspirational stories and that's, that's how the podcast started was me laying on my living room floor, not having a clue, just like how I started running, just like how I started writing a book, just like how I started a TV show, uh, just just how I started uh, award making, filmmaking. I just, I literally was 
I'm I'm a big proponent of just start, just try and see what direction it takes. And you might surprise yourself. Yeah. That's what happens with a lot of projects. I'm sort of relating to the, the projects that I've done, especially with the podcast and especially with um, doing an online business. It's like you just start somewhere and if you if something doesn't work or if something fails then you just take that as a learning experience and you reiterate and if it's a success or parts of it are success then you just try to continue doing more of that or you know improve upon that and um it takes you to like the the art or or the the fact of trying and trying different things is draws a lot of that motivation as well a motivation to keep going or different ideas pop up and i guess that's why you're career has started off as a runner, but then you've had this idea of a book and then you've had this idea of an Instagram then you've had this idea of a podcast and then it's all just kind of fumbling your way through until it's this, um, this journey that's brought you so much passion, it's brought so much following and it's brought so, um, so much positive lessons and positive energy to a lot of runners out there. That's, I mean, that's the goal. Like in every project that I do, it's, can we change people's lives for the better? Can we inspire people? And and that's that's the driving force that's the secret sauce to what i do no one else is thinking that like or very few people are thinking that uh vast majority are can i make money off this uh can i get a number of like clicks and views and and all that stuff and it's i think the the truly groundbreaking uh work that I've done is, well, first of all, the bell-shaped curve is fattest in the middle. So, like, basic statistics says everyone, for the most part, is average because that's the definition of average. And so, like, stories from middle to pack, like, that's middle to bell-shaped curve where most people are. And ironically, I don't think most marketing people have even figured this out yet within running. They're all going towards those, those tail ends. Um, and so beyond, beyond figuring that out, uh, yeah, it's, it's losing the feel, the fear of failure and just going after things. And I can't tell you how many times I've failed at stuff at this point. I don't keep track. It's phenomenally high. And I would say it, I've almost... I've almost like come to the like full understanding of I think it was Edison fail like I think he was like trying 10,000 times failing 10,000 times before he figured out the right way to do something like that's just my mentality and I I've completely lost not only the fear but like holding back or caring about failing I I see failing probably in a completely different lens than 99% of people. Like mm. it's, I, I celebrate it. I love it. I try something new. It sucks. I try something new. It totally sucks. I try <laughs> something new and there's a little bit of traction. And then I try something new and it's like, it breaks through onto the other side. And then, you know, there's two steps back and, I, it's just all part of the process. It's, yeah. it's just how my creative mind works. And I think that mind is <clears throat> perfect. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. 
This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Uh, ultra running in general because <clears throat> things go wrong. Like you put yourself through pain, uh, unexpected things happen like mid-race where you have to kind of um, not talk yourself out of it, be a bit more optimistic and um, sort of negotiate your own mind through unexpected scenarios. So I think that whole mindset has set you up for success as an ultra runner in the first place. And I think a lot of these listeners are going to want to start talking about like, when are they going to start talking about some ultra specific stuff? And I thought the first question that I'd want to um, dive into was in your years of experience and interviewing other marathoners and ultra marathoners and just building up your, like your running and your ultra IQ. Have you approached training to ultras or races differently to say the mainstream, what you might find other um, more generic kind of ultra runners or guide, guidelines? Do, do you find your philosophy, your training philosophy and your racing philosophy different from other, other ultra runners? I mean, that's a, that's a really good question. I am a big proponent of having fun and enjoying your training. And I end every podcast with that as a reminder for my listeners, like, don't forget to enjoy your training. And it, it all stems from the Instagram, like, pause your watch. Who cares? Like, it, that bird's going to fly away. You're going to miss that sunset. Who cares about your Strava? Like, in if someone gives you crap about pausing your your watch on Strava during a training run, like, uh, like let's get some life perspective here, guys. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, the the typical miles in a training plan for marathon training aren't dissimilar to how I would start going after bigger races. Like, it's very similar. I am hyper aware of my body. I've learned to listen to every single part of me. And when things feel tight, I'm very risk adverse with my training. I don't follow a plan to the T where it's going to injure me. I'm a huge proponent of take that rest day. Like, yes, you had planned back to back 14 mile long runs for the weekend. And you know what? You're going to take Sunday off and enjoy it with your kids because you're at like probably a 90% chance of severe injury if you go out on Sunday. So like learn to enjoy not only the training, but then the rest days also, and the taper. And I think a lot of people think if you miss that one day, it's the end of the world and you're not going to hit your marathon pace or your your goal distance. And I mean, I've, I've had enough experience. I've finished almost 30 ultras at this point, four of which have been 200 plus mile races and with sizable gain. And I, I'm here to tell you, like, if you miss that one day, it's okay. Like, I know a lot of us are are very, very, uh, like, OCD on following the plans, which is great. And it, it's a big, you know, plus for being a runner, getting out every day, building consistency. But, you know, an injury can set you back six months. If you avoid that injury by taking one day off, you're going to build on top of gains 
slow, maybe a little slower, but you're not going to have that huge setback. So I, I can't emphasize enough. Just listen to your body, and when injury risk is super high, don't be an idiot. Take one day off. Like, it's mm. it's going to be okay, guys. <laughs> I think people get quite antsy, like, especially those who are used to running six or seven days a week. And they're, they're usually the type of runner that does perhaps have a multiple injuries over the last 12 months, like two or three injuries that they're managing because their mileage is so high. Um, but when you're talking about fun and making, make sure you have fun, I can see some runners halfway through an ultra training plan. Um, they've got their long runs on the weekend or they've, um, they've hit winter and they're like the motivation's a little bit low and they find themselves just not having fun. It started off as fun, but somewhere along the line, they're finding it's like the enjoyment and the motivation is starting to get a bit low. What advice would you have for them? And how would they, is it self-reflection, reevaluating things? What, what's, what's required? I'd say go back to your goals because, and ask yourself why you're running because your, your why isn't going to be consistent. It's not going to be that single point over time, over time, we're all human. We all change and our whys are always changing. And so if you find yourself at a point where you're like, what, what, what am I doing? This, this is just stupid. I hate this step back, reflect on your goals. And maybe your why has totally changed. Maybe, maybe it's now like the social component of group runs that you really love. And that's why you're running. It's not this New York city marathon sub three hour goal or sub four hour goal or whatever it is like, um, but you might still be on the training plan to do sub four at the New York city marathon. But the real reason you're running and you haven't reevaluated your why is because you just find it great to interact with people on group runs. Like, so, and, and maybe before that it was, I have to get a sub four marathon so just reevaluate re your why, but also be sincere when you pick a goal. Don't do it because you're trying to impress other people because when it's zero degrees out or 20 degrees out or whatever it is, and you have to get yourself out of bed, none of your social media following knows what is going on. Only you know, and only you can get yourself out of your bed. So be sincere with yourself on when you pick a goal. If you only like 5Ks and 10Ks, don't try to impress people with a half marathon or a marathon that isn't really igniting that desire to train. Like pick goals that make training fun and that align with everything. And yes, 80% maybe even 90% of your runs are going to be fun and 10 to maybe 15, 20% of your runs might have to be harder depending on the goal. But, um, just be honest with yourself and reawake and reevaluate your why. I think those are my two like major points. Yeah. And I think if you do have those 10% that are harder runs, maybe during those harder runs, you can also reflect on what you enjoy about those harder runs. You can like, while you're out there, Hey, I'm getting fresh air. Um, like it's a beautiful day. Like the scenery is good. I like the, the feeling afterwards, um, of having a hard session. And so maybe that can help turn things around and actually start making it fun as well as hard. Would you agree with that? 
I always during harder efforts or, or just training efforts that I do not want to be doing, I constantly remind myself suffer now or suffer during the race. Like if you want your race to be enjoyable, you gotta put in the effort now. Like it's it's suffer during the training a little bit, ten percent, or suffer massively during the race. Yeah. We've got a few um patron questions that have come in and uh we'll start asking them periodically throughout the throughout the interview. Um, awesome. Andrew asks, so Rob always talks about being able to get into a flow state as soon as possible within a race. Um, wondering how he manages to do so and if it lasts the entirety of the run and also what the benefits are of getting into this, this flow state. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question in the better shape I'm in, the quicker I can snap into it. So uh, it takes me a little bit longer when I'm a little out of shape, especially like post COVID here. But I, especially when there's a lot of people on the trail too, my, I click into flow when the beauty kind of takes over, my brain turns off. I'm fortunate that I'm a visual thinker. I've trained myself to just turn off basically everything and just live within each footstep. And, I would emphasize it's it's almost like public speaking. Everyone's like, oh, I'm not a good public speaker or like in running. I, I can't get into flow. Well, you can. It just takes practice and you have to do it so many times that before you realize it, you're actually just jumping into flow. And my big thing is music. I definitely learned that more than anything this year is I pick music that probably doesn't have as many like vocals and like thought provoking things within it. It's more like the rhythm of the music um, kind of puts me into running, not trance, but it, it definitely it clicks me into flow and uh, for longer efforts. So when you're out there for like when I did Moab 240 and I ran 250 miles, I did a 401k for cancer research. When you can click into flow for 15 miles and then realize like, oh, okay, like I'm at another aid station or, or like I'm out of water or something takes you out, like a conversation with someone else, like as bad as it is coming out, like you almost are mentally transported 15 miles. It's really, really nice. Like you, you lose all track of time and it's i don't know it's it's a huge stress stress reliever for me personally like i can go out for a work run like at lunchtime at work and it might be six or seven miles but that stress relief then allows me to sit down at my desk and like just hammer out some work like i would not have been able to like it's a very big stress reliever how would you, is that how you would define being into a flow state? So those who are not familiar with that, um, that term, is it getting yourself into that kind of mindset or that awareness where everything's just super easy and effortless? Yeah. I, it's not like you feel like it's, it doesn't feel effortless, but it feels like very, very, it's like driving a car in like the first gear, like just super smooth, easy cruise speed where like my brain just turns off like 
that's it so i it's hard to explain it becomes more like i switch from thinking in words to thinking in pictures like a hundred percent thinking just in pictures looking around taking things in it's just my perception on reality changes and i think my perception on time changes and I'm probably listening to my breath. That's probably the only thing that I hear potentially if I'm running a little too hard or going uphill. But beyond that, it's kind of a magical place. I mean, it's it's not a runner's high. I'll tell you that. Like, if I hit a runner's high, I'm in massive trouble. Like, I never want to hit that state. It's It's definitely like, you're running at a comfortable pace that you feel like you could run forever and then you just enter the zone and you're just, you know, it's like Jordan making three pointers and just all kinds of crazy stuff in the finals. You just feel like, yeah, it is somewhat effortless, but you're focused on the hoop. Like you're just, you're just going, you're knocking out miles left and right. Makes me think about like a month or two ago, I interviewed Brian Hanley, who's just a, He's a running coach, but also a researcher. And we talked about um, running race tactics and race strategies for, we'll mainly talk about the marathon. But one thing that I found really intriguing was he was saying people tend to perform better when they don't need to make a lot of decisions a lot of the time. And he said, that's maybe one of the benefits of having a marathon like pacer to run with a pacer because you're not thinking about your pace, you're not thinking about your time, your splits, and you just need to follow this person. And that's all you need to do and not making so many mental decisions and that that using up all that kind of cognitive energy you could say just seems to help physical performance as well and when you're talking about that flow state it seems like it's um you're not really thinking too much it's just in like this real economical like efficiency mode would you agree with that i I totally agree with that concept and yeah i can i can relate to being at moab 240 for the first time and running at, I think it was mile like 210 to like the next aid station was 230 miles. And my pacer was in front of me and you just, it's like the footstep rhythms. You're just like, that's literally your only thought. And a lot of my pacers, I have them in front of me. I'm like, if anyone talks to me, like I just, my energy level, I can't handle having to say hi to like a lot of people. I just want to stay in flow. And I, I hardly talked to my pacer for 20 miles during Moab 240 and they were concerned they were doing something wrong at the end. They were like very upset. And I was like, no, I was in, this was a, I was like three hours ahead of schedule when I, when I got to uh, the next checkpoint or whatever, the aid station. And uh, it was one of the best segments of my life and it was all in flow. I passed by 10 people which in a small 200 person race is a lot. And uh, I totally agree. And I always have my runners and my pacers in front of me so I can just watch the rhythm of their footsteps and like zone out. But yeah, it's hard to describe, but it's, it's, it's an amazing place to be, especially for us, like middle back of the Packers. Like it's a great place to be. I can understand it's hard to describe, but as you're talking about it, I think a lot of the listeners would just get it. I think they just get that concept and get that um, familiar kind of state. 
Melody asks, how do you schedule your long runs? Do you flog yourself with long hours during the long run or do you split the runs multiple times a day um, or do you just spread it out longer over the course of a few days? Um, do you have a, a preference? I have a trick. It's called using races as long runs. So cool. <laughs> it's... It took me a while, and I used to slog out 20 milers and whatnot, and and try to convince my wife, you know, to watch the our, our single child at the time. And then I tried to set up all the logistics and set up the water drops and the food and everything. And I was, I was just too much work, and and it got to the point where I'm like, I need to just sign up for a 50k. Like I I love races, I love the atmosphere, I love meeting people. They have aid stations already set up for me. My wife can be comforted and not like be worried about me the entire time I'm out there and whether I'm actually, uh, you know, safe or if I've been eaten by a wild animal. So I, I really like using easy effort, like, you know, a six hour, six hour 50 K type effort. Um, as a long run. And if I can do a, a six ish hour 50 K, uh, and build that into maybe a, a mountainous 50 miler. And I, I'm picking these longer races that are long runs for me specifically to match my a goal of the year, whatever race I'm going after. So, uh, you know, if, if I'm going after a flat hundred miler, as my a goal i'm not going to use a mountainous 50k as training although it could work and depending on if it's reasonably close by but um i'm a big proponent of just signing up for local uh local races as long runs i i really enjoy that it's made it so much more enjoyable than being out there by myself in the middle of some crazy wilderness that i'm really not sure if i know where i am half the time and <laughs> Uh, it, it's so much more fun. Have, have you in, in the past tried doing double runs or run, running multiple times a day, um, to try and get in extra miles? I, I love, I mean, especially these days, like I've, I've done doubles, even triples, uh, now that I've a three-year-old and six-year-old, like I, when, you know, when it's down to the wire and I know I need to put in the miles, doubles triples are awesome they they really do uh sort of create that same muscle like that uncomfortable feeling that mile 50 during an ultra marathon feels like you know if you if you pound like 10 miles in the morning throw in a quick six or seven during lunch and then try to go after work uh for another another run like that that really does simulate race muscle type conditions for me um and back-to-back -back long runs i mean when i initially started i was all about that you know i was following all these training plans and i was like i keep getting hurt every time i try to do back-to-back -back long runs so i was also a, a younger runner but i'd much rather do like 150k on the weekend than do like back-to-back -back, you know equivalent 50% of that mileage. So it's just what I've developed. It's also just easier because then I can do a Saturday 50K 
and then you know my wife is watching the kids for the most part and then when I'm destroyed and can hobble all around, I can watch the kids and then she can have time to herself on Sunday. So it's, it's, it's not only about the actual, like what's best physically for training, but it's also like what works for my, my personal life, my family life and my work life. Like it's, there's a lot more to training plans than just following the miles and, and that sort of thing. Of course, yeah. Sounds like a good partnership you've got going on there with your wife. Trying. The, the Triple <laughs> Crown stretched us, man. It was. I used all my vacation time to do the Triple Crown of 200s, wow. and <laughs> it got a little extreme. So I talked to Sean Bearden on the podcast. It was a while ago, but when he was talking about ultras, his philosophy around overall weekly mileage was... Um, a lot of people have the mistake, well, in his opinion, he was always one to preference constantly operating at a high mileage throughout the year rather than having uh, several months of low mileage and then trying to ramp up for preparation for an ultra. And he said, it's good if you just maintain a high mileage consistently throughout the whole year, which fluctuates slightly here and there, depending on when you have races and when you don't have races. Um, would you agree with that? Do you have a different philosophy? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a low, a much lower mileage uh, personality. Uh, my my philosophy is, it, it also depends on how many ultras you're doing in the year. So I I typically would do, I don't know, between four and six ultras, in sometimes that's three two hundred milers in like sixty five days. So. Um, I'm not kind of like a traditional background in a lot of this, but I think the big mistake a lot of runners make is they put their best miles in during training and they show up to the, the start line. They're confident because they did whatever it took to make them confident mentally uh, through physically like putting in the miles. But yeah, the races and end up being sort of flat type miles. So I, I think that you need to do the training that gets you mentally prepared, mentally accepting, um, it, at least for 200 milers. So it, it really depends on the type of ultra you're doing, whether it's flat, mountainous, those are vastly different. But I'm, I'm truly a big proponent of beyond 75 miles a week, like I don't see much advantage for non if you're not making a living running uh beyond 75 miles per week in my opinions it's a little it's a little bit of a red line like you can start tapping into adrenal fatigue and and really taxing your body on a different level um but again that's just my opinion I mean I'm I'm a huge proponent of 80 to 90% of your running should be easy. Anytime you're running, close your mouth and breathe through your nose type training, like just stupid, easy miles. Um, and I, I've seen it work both ways. I, I've seen top tens at Western States through honestly polar opposite ways of training. This episode is sponsored by The Breakthrough Running Clinic. 
Did you know I help assess and treat injured runners all over the world with my own online physio clinic? I always encourage runners to invest in their own knowledge first, but sometimes it's nice to have a helping hand and expert opinion. So you can sign up to work with me for a one week or one month physio package at breakthroughrunning.physio. Or if you are unsure if online physio is right for you, I'll include a link in the show notes that gives you access to my calendar to book a free 20 minute injury chat. So you can talk one-on-one with me about your injury to see if you're on the right track and discuss all your rehab options. Yeah, and I know I like how you say that it's just your opinion, but it is what has worked for you. Like you've gone through this trial and error sort of through training or you've gone years just adopting a certain mileage, a certain philosophy, like you say, using races as your long runs, um, trying to fit in your, your lifestyle around running as well. And so you've just settled into a place that's worked really nice for you. And so it's nice to, to share those experiences and share those successes and what has worked well for you, regardless of what other ultra runners might be trying in their different sort of training philosophies or intensity distributions. Um, but you did mention about, um, the mental side of things and I haven't, I've never ran an ultra before, but the, the constant difference I, I constantly hear is okay. Ultras, the, the pace is a lot slower. You take it a lot easier. Um, but there's also a big mental side of it as well. Like mental resilience is big when it comes to other running races. Um, do you personally try and use particular strategies to work on mental resiliency, or do you think it's something that's evolved over time? And like, what sort of tips might you have for people who need to build up their mental resiliency? It's a, it's a really good question. And like most of your listeners, I was, I was right along most of you guys where you're like, you hear the quote where someone says like ultra marathons are 90% mental and 10% physical or something like that. And I, I was right alongside you guys. I was like, that's bullshit. There's no, there's no way it's 90% mental. But then as you progress and you, you make some continuous progress in your training and, and races and you start accumulating miles and you find yourself out there, it becomes highly mental because you've, you've, you've trained your body to basically sustain miles at, at a given pace, even if it's an easy, like a 10 minute, nine minute type pace, basically you could run it forever. Uh, there's, there's things that happen and it turns 100% mental. So like most of the guys that are ready to run a hundred miles or beyond Physically, there's 0% question whether they can do it, and then it becomes all a mental game. And it's just, it's a super weird place to be. And, and again, I, I couldn't run one mile physically at one point, like five years ago. So, and I've talked to a lot of people about this. I've trained myself a lot on this topic, and it's, it's hard. You got to be in the race for a, a sincere reason. You can't just be trying to do a big, big name race just to like, you know, uh, get likes on social media or whatever. It's, you got to have your why figured out. You have to have picked out a good goal and you got to commit 
And when you're all in, like, you never once question whether you're going to keep it going. So if if you're in if you've DNF'd a race before and uh you just you didn't you didn't feel like you wanted to continue, I would say like you gotta just reevaluate why and what was that goal. Was that like an internal like was that an actual intrinsic race that you wanted to be at? And if so, like what happened? Um because when you're committed 100%, it almost becomes, it, this sounds a little extreme, but it almost becomes like a military type way of thinking about things where like, I, I think failure is not an option becomes like sort of so entrenched in, in your being. You just don't even think about the pot. Like it doesn't even enter your head when you're all in, on something like the Triple Crown of 200s, which is seen as probably one of the longest uh, type events you can sign up for. Uh, not once did I sit and, and wonder if I was going to quit. It was problem solve, problem solve, just like push yourself through. You might be full-blown exhausted, sleep on the trail for 15 minutes, in just a total decrepit state, but not once was there uh, a blowout valve like exit opportunity that ever once entered my mind for 650 miles. And that became acutely aware, like in my head for Moab 240, uh, when I had uh, Celia, who I was running for to raise money for pediatric cancer research at the finish line from like mile. Oh, I started, I started at 4am. The race didn't start for quite some time. And I, I got seven and a quarter miles in before the race even started to make sure I got a 401 K in. And, uh, there was not one single moment during that entire race. I ever thought about quitting. So I don't know if that helps, but you do, uh, you do enter a mind space where you you literally never once think about quitting. And I don't quite know how to get into that space other than pick a purpose beyond yourself. Something very important to you to run for. Otherwise, uh, your brain's very good at making excuses and trying to trick you into convince yourself like oh you're a horrible dad you should drop out and go spend time with your kids right now i think that's a very beneficial but simplistic message that people can work on because i can say that the if if one percent of doubt creeps in it becomes infectious it becomes it like spreads into the likelihood of you quitting just exponentially increases because that one percent has crept in and as soon as things get a little bit tough as soon as the legs start getting a little bit sore, a little bit heavy or something unexpected happens. Um, if you start getting a blister or something, the, you can easily turn that 1% I'm giving up into a hundred percent straight away. But if it's zero, you, like you said, you just problem solve. If a blister comes up, you problem solve. And if quitting's never an option, then 
those doubts will never get to that 1%. It just stays zero the entire time. This might be abrasive, but I think 90% of DNFs happen before the race even starts. Mm. Like, I, I know people probably don't want to hear that. They probably hate hearing that, but 90% of, of ultra marathons that are DNFs happen before the, the person even hits the start line. And yeah. I don't know if that's mental or what, but I, I truly think you determine your your finish 90% of the time. There are 10% of the time where you, you step on something crazy or, you know, there's those outliers, but 90% of the time your DNFs way before the start line. Yeah. And I could kind of see myself say, even when I'm doing strength training, if I have to do squats and deadlifts, three sets or four sets each, and then I find sometimes I talk myself out of that and only do like say three sets when I had four sets planned or even just during some training sessions where I'm meant to be doing intervals here and there and I get maybe 40% of the way and I say, oh, that's probably enough and I turn around and head back. Um, I would probably say if mental resiliency, if you want to build onto something or if you've got a race coming up, like during those training sessions, don't talk yourself out of it because that's just building up that um, resiliency or it's just making sure that none of that doubt will creep into race day or performance day. If you stay true to the training sessions itself, um, it just makes you build up the confidence, the, the confidence that you can keep going, you can push through, you can problem solve if issues arise. And so um, I think that would have a, it would it'd be a skill that you need to build during those training sessions for you to execute on race day. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think it was, this sounds weird now, but Tiger Woods used to go hit golf balls in the rain. Like his dad used to shout in his backswing. Like you don't, you don't go out for a run when conditions are ideal every single time. Like, and when conditions get bad, you don't stop training. And I think that's, that's a huge lesson that I learned in, getting prepared for the triple crown, uh, a triple, the triple crown of two hundreds, um, was picking the hottest point in the day to go out for a run. Like the most horrible conditions. I I've done training runs where I had to throw away my shoes afterwards because they were so muddy and destroyed. I've had training runs where I thought I was going to hit, get hit by lightning on countless occasions but it's those ugly, ugly conditions that you train in that can actually lift you up during race day. And it can make that that mental switch happen in your head where you're like, yeah, things are tough, but look around. It's like 80 degrees and sunny like this. And the trails are smooth right now. Like I'm not running through mud. You know, it's not 105 degrees and just like awful awful type heat like you have to put yourself through training that makes you so uncomfortable at times that then you're you're almost thankful to just be at the race like you're you're happy that conditions are bad but remember that time like they're they're not that bad so mm. that, that's a good one um john has an interesting question he asks is there something that you've learned from ultra race training that can apply to those who are not planning on actually doing ultra races and just doing um their just normal running is there any lessons yeah. that you've learned or any strategies that you might have learned that can apply to all runners yes yeah there is 
slow hiking through the mountains and just time on your feet. Um, you, you would think that my running the Triple Crown was just going to slow me down and make me less economical and like just really set me back physically for my running. And I'll tell you what, it was quite the opposite. Uh, so I finished Bigfoot 200, which was 206 miles uh, out in Washington State. It had 46,000 feet of gain. And within one week, I came back and did a lunch run and set a PR. I think it was on my 5K or 10, I think it was my 10K. Now, granted, my 10K speed isn't like the fastest, but within one week, my body recovered that quick and it was showing my cardiovascular health was going off the charts. And so after the whole triple crown, I flew back to see my parents at sea level in Tampa and I ran, I was running 630 miles uh, for a 5k, which again, I'm middle of the pack. So don't underestimate slow, prolonged efforts through mountainous, just tough conditions where like your stabilizer muscles are going crazy and you're, you're probably burning a ton of calories. Things are uncomfortable. Uh, and, and honestly, I think the triple crown taught me how to get even more uncomfortable, uh, just with like regular miles so that when I came back, I was throwing down my fast miles were now in the sixes, which for me was off the charts. Like, so you, you can actually see benefits from, from super slow, just prolonged efforts. Don't be shocked. Good one. I think as we, we wrap up this interview, I like to ask if there's any misconceptions or any like common mistakes you see ultra runners making, um, when it, maybe I'll start with misconceptions. Is there any, is there any, like if a non ultra runner kind of has a perception about an ultra and, um, they might maybe think it's not for them or they think it's like too hard or they, they have some sort of misconceptions about being a, a, an ultra runner. Um, is there any common ones that pop up? Yeah, there, there's quite a few that come to mind. I mean, first one is that we put in 100 mile weeks every week and we're like superhumans. And that's 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 like a total uh, false type narrative. Good to know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're very, I would say, um, very normal type runners. But I would also, I, I caution that you would think a 50K just mathematically is only like, you know, an extra six miles or so after a marathon, you can do a 50K like, well, most 50Ks take place in crazy, either mountainous or like just tough type trails. So don't, don't come of the mindset of, oh, I ran a 330 marathon and just I could tack on six miles, no big deal, because that's ninety like ninety five percent of the time is definitely not the case. Like a fifty K is gonna have a minimum of three thousand feet of gain and it's gonna be on trails where sections, if you were to run it, would just be idiotic and you'd probably hurt yourself severely, if not 
like fall off the mountainside. So it's hard to compare just pure distance once you start incorporating altitude and uh the 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 gain that you're climbing in the mountains they, they the two just don't become comparable so don't get overly optimistic but at the same time we're not anywhere near superhumans like the vast majority of ultra runners are, are they're tough folks but they're also super smart super friendly and it's one of the best communities out there hmm. how about how about mistakes do you see people go wrong do you see their training go wrong or race day go wrong um any anything that yeah. is really common i mean people overtrain because mentally they are not convinced they're an ultra runner and so they physically kind of break themselves I think that's very, very common. And then I think um, during race day, people go out too hard. I, I know it happens in marathons quite often, but I think in marathons, uh, people are just used to going out and running at that 8.30 flat pace. And they go out to do a 50 miler and they do that. And then they, they hit mile 35 and they they have their oh shit moment where they're like, okay, this, this is not good. Um, and by mile 45, it's, uh, hopefully they're hanging on and doing a death march in. So, uh, I, I've also seen ultra marathons are, they take place in extreme type conditions. So whether it's like Badwater 135 and Death Valley or, I mean, most common is it takes place in California, Colorado at 10,000 feet. And people are like, oh, I normally run 830 pace. Like, I should be good. Um, so I'll take it easy. I'll just do nine-minute pace. But they forget, like, like for the Leadville Marathon, they forget they're starting at 10,200 feet. And so their heart rate's already just exploding for, like, the first few miles and then they can't balance electrolytes because of the altitude. So altitude really messes with your ability to to sweat and then how to replenish that sweat. And things just get so out of control very quickly that uh, 25 miles, 26 miles in Leadville starts feeling like uh, like 40 miles, 50 miles anywhere else. Yeah. Good to know. Anything else? Any other, any other tips that we haven't covered? Uh, I, I mean, truly, I think we covered most of it. It's don't be self-conscious of training slow, have the confidence to know what your goal is, what you're training for, and watch that person that runs past you with confidence. Don't try to chase them down or catch them or curse them just know listen to their breath and listen to your breath and know what your goal is and remind yourself to be smart with your training and i i truly think if 80 percent of your runs if you're making consistent efforts are at a low intensity you are going to see fitness gains it's almost like mathematically impossible not to um, but if you're making every effort hard and you're out of breath every run 
Like you're going to see inconsistencies. You're going to see injuries. You're going to see disappointments come race day. So just have the confidence to, to trust yourself in running slow. Um, and then also bite your lip for those other 20% when things, things have to be a little harder and be smart not to get injured. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when you, when you talk about someone passing you and just make sure you're trusting your own process, your own pace strategy. Um, it's also one to sort of make sure you don't get ego driven as well. Make sure that you don't get highly competitive. Uh, I, I see in like 10 Ks, half marathons, marathons, people just get very competitive and they, um, it's sort of like, I guess it's more common amongst those distances, but as soon as you get to ultras, it seems like everyone's kind of, um, cheering each other on. They're kind of just like supporting each other. They're following their own strategy. And if you take that marathon ego, I'm just, um, putting people into like categories, but if you, if you take that marathon ego and try and put it into ultras, you're going to run into injuries. You're going to like your, your strategy is just going to fall to pieces. And I think if you like what you were saying, if you had that, um, the mindset just to really trust your own strategy, don't get caught up in someone else's business or there. If someone passes you don't get that competitiveness of trying to chase catch up to them and your pacing strategy goes out the window. I think that's a really nice message and just trust yourself and enjoy the day, you know, have it as a, like encourage other people who are passing you and encourage those if you pass them. And I think that's just, it, it sets you up. The mindset sets you up for success. Couldn't agree more. I, I truly appreciate it. I mean, I think, um, life's too short. You know, I, I had my, my moment where my dad had a huge health scare. I've been so fortunate to spend the last few years and get to text and call and hang out with my dad. Who's training for the New York city marathon. Ironically, he's done quite a few marathons. Um, life's too short. Like, and ultimately we spend the vast majority of our time training and not the vast majority of our time racing. Now the great memories do tend to come from those race events, but believe it or not, a lot of the memories come from training and I just, I can't emphasize enough. Life's too short. Get out there, stay healthy, but have fun. Like it's just life's too short to suffer through all your marathon training for your sub four hour goal. Like just, just have fun for at least the majority of it. Like it's, it's a great sport and I've met the absolute nicest people through running and just, just try to have fun out there and, and be sincere to yourself. Know what you love and whatever you love, no, no matter how weird it is, whether it be running through death Valley, you know, in 125 degrees, which hopefully I will do next year. There is a group of people that love that too. So the running community is global and as weird as whether you love five K's or 10 K's or marathons or whatever the distance or whatever the speed, there's a group out there for you. And, um, 
just yeah social media actually has a really big benefit and connects us all and allows you to connect those groups so uh i can't emphasize enough just have fun life's too short yeah and i say i've said this a handful of times on the podcast on previous episodes but i do find runners for some reason they're just really hard on themselves they they hold themselves like these ridiculous goals and if they don't achieve them they're really harsh on themselves and it's not really a good way to live. It's not a good way to look at it. Like you should just love running, enjoy the process, love the training, love the races, get involved. And yeah, just don't take yourself too seriously, which you, you keep saying, have fun, which is exactly the same thing. Um, so as we wrap up, you've got your um, training for ultra, you've got the website training for ultra, you've got the podcast training for ultra, you've got Instagram, which is the same handle training for ultra. Um, for those who have just discovered you and don't know too much about you is there like what's their recommended first place to go first place to listen or um is it the book is it the podcast where where can they go so it's super easy now like it's gotten so much easier just go to my instagram account training for ultra and within that profile there's a link that goes to like all the all the stuff the the book the tv show the podcast the newsletter and all the other social links. So I've, I've made it very easy at this point. I think it's called like a link tree or something to that effect. So um, it just, I'm very appreciative to be on your podcast and uh, you're doing great work. We have, um, we have, we have different philosophies on, on podcasting, which actually is probably the most intriguing part of, of hooking up. And, you know, I'm just very thankful that you're, Willing to chat with, uh, you know, a middle of the packer, back of the packer, uh, who's just trying to have some fun and, and make my life a little healthier. So Yeah. Well, this podcast is a little bit more on the, the educational side of things. We want to make, make sure runners run smarter. We want to make sure that they're, they're learning lessons. And I think we've, we've knocked it out of the park with the content, everything that you've talked about today. So thanks for coming on and sharing. Oh, it's an honor. Thanks so much. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.